It's the end of another day. You know, I was thinking before we get started, we should tell people if they like these videos, they should like do things like hit the, the like button. Like, subscribe, share this podcast, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you are listening to this show. Or please share to anybody who's facing a criminal charge so that we can help them. You just like read my mind. There you go. <laughs> we have something important to talk about today. Like we do. really hardcore serious, hardcore real. And it's going, to, it's going to eat up a couple of our podcasts now because it's really important. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things you'll notice if you, you know, just follow media headlines and you don't hear proper case examples of the, like the ones we're going to talk about, this concept that, that um, we've got this massive like rape crisis on university campuses, that women are being let down, that we need to design university tribunals um, or restore them like in the States because they changed to add more due process and now Biden is rolling it back. Yeah. But um, that's because like they're saying we must start from believing and that somehow there's like a ton of, of victims who aren't being served by the system properly. So that's the narrative the public is getting. And so there's a lot of support from the politicians and uh, from the general public to adopt these uh, archaic, almost uh, tribunal type systems and to try and change our criminal courts to match it. Yeah. And I think this, this merges with something which is really important for me to get across because uh, uh, two, three weeks ago, I had this social media battle completely unexpected where there's just an advertisement for my firm about defending uh, people charged with domestic related or, or, or sexual related offenses. And um, I got chastised by one particular individual who was quite um, aggressive in, the, in their tone about how we should be defending victims and not accuse people and that um, people who are accused are guilty. And um, we know this exists, but I, I think what remains a troubling issue for us and why we're going to delve into this is, and we've got a merger between university campuses, investigations with uh, you know people who are in univers university, but also with the overall concept that if you're charged with an offense, you're guilty. And, uh, or you must have done something wrong. And that, you know, all this hullabaloo that we create, the hyperbole about um, wrongful accusations uh, is really just bullshit for the most part. And it's not. And we're going to talk about this in, in a couple of Well, I think it's really examples. helpful for people to actually see specific cases because then, you know, and have a sense that the, the accused people are people too. Their lives are destroyed over this stuff. And to, to actually see how easy it is for somebody to end up going through a whole criminal trial, even when there's evidence of innocence, like just staring in the face of the, of the investigation that gets overlooked. So we had a case that we worked on together and you kept on like driving me nuts because you kept on saying, oh, Diana thinks he's guilty, right? And it was such an infuriating case. Uh, like, you know, I kept, every time I looked at it, it was like outraged that this kid was even charged in the first place. Right. So this was a kid at university. Yeah, so th this is, so we're not scripting anything. We, we have facts based upon a real case which was quite voluminous where we had to work really hard to put together materials to finally convince a Crown attorney to withdraw. And, and the Crown attorney in the end did the, right, did the right thing. But let's set the stage for this. This is real and this is but one example of a false accusation and it's really important to um, personalize this. This was a, a young uh, gentleman in his early 20s who was a 4.0 GPA 4.0 GPA at a university 
in a very hard program doing exceptionally well. A real gentleman, a very nice guy who had a bad relationship with somebody. That bad relationship became criminalized uh, where he got charged with multiple offenses, including a number of assaults, threatening, and sexual assault, which turned his life upside down, caused a university investigation at the same time of the criminal case where you and I had to make a strategic decision to deal with the university investigation before we even came close to having a trial in the criminal case. But the psychological and emotional impact on this young man, which is real, was tremendous, where he was looking at not only the obliteration of his liberty, but the obliteration of his career. So he was, this was a really good student who was looking at a university taking away his, his academic career for just allegations that were frankly on their face. Well, let's break down the Many of them that were, were yeah. just baldly stupid and false. So let's break it down. So, well, you've got one part because we put together um, yeah. sort of our outline of the case. And so um, just going through it again tonight, you've got, um, you know, issues involving the police and, and the way the police investigated. Let, let's got... start off. Let's start off with the police investigation because that yeah. incensed you more. So what we're going to do is we're going to start from the beginning and do this in, in a forensic way so that you understand what happened. So he gets arrested. He goes to the police. Tell us what happens from how we dissected this and put it together. Yeah, well, first of all, he's very mild-mannered, but he, he's also very forthright. So one of the big things with him was he wanted to give a statement right. um, because uh, for a number of reasons. One, because he had a bunch of witnesses as to what actually happened, and also because he was the victim in, in the circumstances. And so he was actually personally afraid for his safety because this was just another, these complete police complaints were just another escalation. Sorry, in, I didn't mean to cover that, but they're definitely not sponsoring us. It's just good whiskey, so. <laughs> it is. I just wanted to put it down. I was more worried it was some... Don't want to be rude off. to them, but... So we did fix our table from shaking, though. Yeah, you got something <laughs> underneath it. So, I mean, he's just such a mild-mannered guy, and um, going through, like, the, the statement to the yeah. police, he actually starts out saying, I want to tell you what happened because, you know, I'm afraid for my safety. And right. she's, in fact, threatened me a number of times. And I've got a bunch of witnesses. And so the police, um, you know, they said to him, well, I just want you to understand because he was confused about the process. He goes, so if I tell you what happened, if I give you this information, then then I won't have to go to trial, will I? And the police go, were very forthright and, and honest with him saying, no, you're going to have to go to trial. And he was like, well, what do you mean? He was like, well, it doesn't really matter what you say to me. You're going to be charged and you're going to have to go to trial. Right. So, so let's, let's think let's about that. Yeah, yeah, let's pause on that for a moment. So here's a, a young person. So to me, early 20s is very young. And he is very earnest in trying to speak to the police because he has concerns for his own safety, for things that's happened to him. He wants to speak to the police. He sees them as people that he can speak to. He, he can express his concerns, give him his side of the story, and look for help. And they're telling him, our hands are tied. Our hands are tied, no matter what you tell us. And, you know, frankly, they were trying to do him a favor, because mm -hmm. normally we advise clients, don't give a statement. They're going to charge you anyways. Let's wait to see what the evidence is so we can then deal with it once we have all of the information. But this is a very honest young man who desperately wanted to get his his information out to the officer, and they're saying, there's nothing we can do, no matter what you tell us. And his confusion was so apparent, they had to explain it to him like four different times, yeah. because he couldn't understand, 
Well, it's almost like I must be mishearing them. How can it be that if I tell them about my witnesses and, you know, explain to them what evidence I have, how can it be that it won't matter? Right. So, again, I, I, this may be overdoing it, but we have to just pause on this. This is where we are now with investigations on cases involving domestic-related offenses. The police are under a directive and pressure, frankly, to pursue an allegation of a complainant without any real investigation other than taking a statement from the complainant. And in some cases, they may be happy to take a statement from an accused thinking that they can flip them and, and get incriminating evidence. But there, it's not a situation where the majority of time they will ever take the information from the accused and use it as part of their investigation to determine what may be truthful. That just doesn't happen. That does not happen. That's not the world we live in here. So no matter what an accused person says to a police officer during the initial stages of an investigation, it won't make a difference. They're looking for only for things that will reinforce the, the accusations and their um, avoidance of anything that will undermine the accusations. And, and I want to be fair to police for, because you know there are a number of times where I've seen the interviews and I've seen police officers trying to take the step to say don't speak to me because they understand that they're handcuffed. They understand that they don't have discretion. They understand that they really can't investigate. They don't have the resources, they don't have the infrastructure, and they don't have the directive. And that's one of the things that this so they say, just save it. Save it and yeah. deal with your lawyer and then work it out through the system. But this but even even if their intentions are good that way, what does that tell us where we are? as far as criminal justice and investigations. Well, I think around the third time where he was <clears throat> asking for this to be explained to him, the officer said, well, I'm not uh, in charge of this case, so he's just collecting information and somebody else is making the decisions, right? And then he had to explain, um, because he's like, you are gonna go to trial. So he's like, okay, so then the judge is gonna look at it and decide if I should be charged? And he was like, no. Then the judge is gonna no, decide no. if you're guilty or not guilty. But it was just like that, that essential phase of investigation um, he, he couldn't figure out how it would be missing. And, and it is confusing because they say things to you, the police, like, well, you know, I'm sure you don't want people to think you're the kind of person who could do this, right? right? That's one right. of the big tactics to get yeah. people to talk. So, but the problem with giving a, a statement, knowing, first of all, that they're really just looking for information that will support the charges. Um, <clears throat> another problem with it is that you don't actually really know the accusation first. So you can end up talking about a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with the accusation. Correct. And they're, are, they're permitted to lie to you, the police? Well, you know, the, yes. Um, in more extreme cases, they will do a ruse in order to get information. Um, but, you know, they're, they're permitted to use tactics um, to get you to give evidence that would be inculpatory, so would be against your interest, and they're entitled to do that. And they can, you can be quiet. You, you have a right to remain silent. And they do, a, they do a decent job, if not a very good job, of advising you to be quiet and seek counsel and shut up when you're being interviewed. Right. You know, and, and, and that's why I've seen plenty of officers in the interview stage say, don't talk to us. And I give them credit for that. Yeah. But <laughs> from a uh, from a moral, from a uh, integrity pro perspective of, of of the process, we have come to a point where no matter what somebody says when they're interviewed, it won't change the course of events. 
and the police do not have the uh, authority to investigate. Only maybe in rare circumstances. You're dealing with homicides or other things. But in these types of cases, they're not doing that. And so that's why I'm, you and I may be overemphasizing this, but I think it's very important for somebody to understand if they give a shit about criminal justice and if they are truly, a, if somebody's watching this and they have that distorted, insane belief that people don't get falsely accused of criminal allegations on a regular and consistent basis, you're just on Mars. Or that because that happens. Be laid if there wasn't evidence. Right. And, and again, I just faced this again today. Evidence can be the statement of, I had some poor guy who called me today. He's in a separation. His wife wanted to go back to the country where she originally was from and take the kids. He's saying, I'm not giving my consent. She called police, said that he threatened to kill her. He's arrested. She's off on the flight. Mm -hmm. Right? So... You and know, they have evidence because they have a phone call from her saying that he, he threatened her. Yeah, or, they have yeah. a statement from her. That's all it is. So evidence, again, consists of a statement of a complainant. And, and there are good reasons why that is evidence. You don't need corroboration. That said, that what we'll eventually get to is, I think, um, that you know police should investigate further. But, but for anybody who thinks that there are not false allegations, that's bullshit and you're delusional. Because there, there are... And it happens a lot, and we see it often in our practice. And because we dig, we keep digging and digging. You keep digging, I keep digging. You see stuff I don't see, I see stuff you don't see. And then finally we get to the fact that we find out it's just bullshit. Right. But it's frightening, and, and that's why we're doing these two podcasts on actual real cases. But, I, I, but, I just, but there is no such thing as all allegations are true. In fact, that's just a fallacy. Well, and in terms of public faith in the system and their understanding how they things, these things happen, in this particular case, this kid gave them four names of direct witnesses. Yes, Not Very just character point. witnesses, but he said uh, somebody else was there. And in one allegation, his new girlfriend was with them in the room while the entire thing took place. And I think there were two charges based right. on that event. She right. was a direct witness from start to finish of the entire thing. And every time he told them a name of, of a witness, the officer said, can you spell that name for me? So you would think if, you're, if he wants to know the spelling of the name, he's going to look them up and he's going to follow up on, the, on interviewing right. them. So that's an excellent point. So now I'm going to read from what our breakdown of the case was. This is our actual breakdown, which we provided to the Crown. So there was a charge where our client was charged with an assault when the complainant had come to his... Uh, uh, residence and essentially forced her way in and um, got into the building through deception, refused to leave his apartment, uh, took phones that didn't belong to her. So that's trespass already. Right. right. And took other items that didn't belong to her and a witness was on scene. So it's theft. we got trespass and theft. Trespass and theft. And, and there was a witness who was offered up to the police to, to testify give evidence to the police and eventually testify to say, this is what really happened. Even worse, the complainant admitted that's what happened. Did you hear that? In her own statement. In her own statement. She gave a full statement and she told the police this. That she got access to his university building by, by lying. borrowing somebody's key, not telling them the truth about what she was doing there. Yeah. So sneaking into his building, then confronting him and his girlfriend getting angry over the fact that the girlfriend was there and um, freaking out, grabbing their phones from them and, um, and then demanding a whole bunch of stuff, some of which wasn't hers. Right. This is, 
this is like pretty much her own statement to police. It's her own statement. He pushed her out, yeah. forced her out of the residence, and he got charged with assault. And then we interviewed. It's, I know, you're laughing, but it's f***ing real. And we interviewed. We had a private investigator interview his girlfriend, took a full statement on audio and video, transcribed and signed. And they also had, I think, confirmation his from, the person, with assault. from the person who loaned her the key, which they didn't need confirmation because she admitted that she got the key Gave from the this key other person. unlawfully to him, right. to her. Yeah. That's right. And, uh, and she wasn't exactly sure at what point of If the, we had an audience, they'd be gasping. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so he gets Thanks charged. for the gas from my wife. That's great. Thank you, honey. And they ignore all of the, the crimes that she's admitted to committing against him, right? Here's another good one. Utter threats. There was a festival, I'm not going to say what it was, and the, the complainant had attended this festival, and he was there, and he was with friends celebrating, having a good time. God forbid he was enjoying himself. And she had confronted him, and they got into a, a little bit of an argument, and he tried to leave, and he told her, stay away from me. And she had said to police that he had threatened to kill her. With a pair of scissors, I think. Correct. And we had witnesses, at least two or three from that festival who were there at the time and he offered up to say no I, I didn't threaten her she was stalking me essentially and I told her to leave me alone and she wouldn't and he left she stayed and he and he got charged mm -hmm. so he left she stayed and he got charged with uttering threats right and um, oh they go on go on to the next one actually oh, f I, it's here's another beauty this happened in a library where there are tons of people around. She ran into him at a library at that university, got into an argument with him about their breakup. She admitted assaulting him and broke his glasses and knocking them, so knocked them off his face during the course of their argument. A witness was available. Witness not interviewed. Our client was charged. Yeah, his new girlfriend, he, was, he, he said to her, run, because he was afraid of her, and he was afraid that the girl would attack his girlfriend. So she, she went, and so she witnessed the beginning of it, but she didn't see the rest. Because right, and there, and there was another They were both like afraid of this. this so she doesn't necessarily admit all this, but he gets charged with assault. She's, she's, she admitted she hit him first. And she also kicked him on the street. Yeah. This leads us to the other one. You're, you, know, ben, you're, you're, you can't believe this. This is real. I spent, we spent a year and a half on this, litigating this. You couldn't get charges with John. For you a couldn't long time. imagine, you couldn't make this shit up. So, I can't believe this when I read it back. You know, they wind up on the street in daylight, is walking again with his girlfriend and a friend. She starts yelling at him cheater, you piece of shit, all that type of stuff. Comes up to him and kicks him. Was it a kick or a slap? Um, I, I, can't I, I believe it was both. That wasn't that in front of the library. I think that was the same one. No, was, that no, that's another one. one. Kicks him, and he then legitimately pushes her back. He gets charged with assault. It's in her statement that she kicked him first. She kicked him first. It's not a lie. This is true. We have the statement. Kicked him first, and he gets charged again. Witnesses available. Unbelievable. I've got direct quotes here from the statement. And Just, we don't want to identify anybody <clears throat> no, to I protect know. the identity <clears throat> of the complainant and our client. But the reason we're saying this is to edify, is, is to give, you know, information and 
edification about what really goes on. This is real. This is not just one out of a million. This is multiple times we see these things. But this was a stark example. What, 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 give some of the... This is from the real statement. It was so, video recorded. We transcribed. So there's... Um there's an attempt to try to claim that her violence was defensive, right? So she's like, I remember he was grabbing my arms and I tried to defense myself by, you know, squeezing his neck or something or kicking him, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's, um, you know, but she tries to claim at that point that, um, that he had his hand on her arm or something like that. And uh, her language is so vague all the time. Anytime she's asked, you know, exactly what happened, she's like, um, because I, uh, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> it's been a while, right? There's been a lot of, there was a lot of I don't remembers in there. There's a lot of that. And, uh, she's just like, uh, he approaches me. So I'm like really scared. So I, I start to, so I tried to kick him. Right. So her, her motive in this, she's like, he, he approaches her cause she's charging at him. Right. There's like confronting yeah. him or whatever. All he's doing is approaching her. And she's, she claims just the fact that she says she was afraid she started kicking him. And then she goes, uh, because, you know, like, female can't fight. I don't know. So I tried to kick him, but I failed. So I, I find that interesting, too, because this is um, one of the defenses is like, oh, yeah, so what if I kick them? I'm just a girl, so I'm not going to do any damage, right? <laughs> and, and this is an ongoing problem with, with reciprocal violence. But just to back Both up... Both are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but a the, male the, kicking her... Or hurting her is bad. A female doing the same is bad. Yeah, and it doesn't matter if you think. And I think a lot of people underestimate the damage that they do to people. If you talk to guys who've been on the other side of this quite often, um, they were seriously injured, and it, and it's downplayed all the time. Never mind the physical aspect. There's a psychological aspect. If you're in a relationship or trying to get out of a relationship, which is bad, whether you're male or female, and somebody doesn't want to let you go and somebody wants to stalk you, and somebody wants to harass you, and wants to assault you, or threaten you. It's bad on both sides. Well, that's the Men suffer just as much as women. All of these altercations, she's quite clear, he broke up with her. And at one point she becomes very honest about her, her mental breakdown state over, yeah. over this um, ending of the relationship. But again, here's the, like you said, it was a separate incident. Um, you know, he was approaching me and I was like walking back and then, um, I just slapped him on his face and then like, like actually twice and then run away. That his was the description of that one. He gets right. charged. That interaction where she slapped him twice on his face without him doing a thing, he was charged with assault. Yeah. She doesn't even allege that he did he, anything. He sure. pushed her away from being slapped. And let's just segue for a second. Detective Constable. This is a transcript of the interview of our client. So even if you're telling me stuff and it doesn't kind of convince me either way, or even if, if it does and I convey the information you're providing me to the officer in charge, it really doesn't play a role in the relation to the charges. You still will be charged with these allegations. This is why this case drove me insane. And then you just made it worse by telling people I thought he was guilty. I can't. <laughs> and people wonder why I take. Sorry, honey. It's amazing. It's it, amazing. It is. but It's amazing. It's amazing when I have these social media battles about people who get so pissed off about my ads, about really nice ads. I got flowers. I got happy Victoria Day, happy Mother's Day, stuff like that. And then I'm like, God forbid I should defend anybody. You should be defending victims. You know what? It goes both ways. So according to the complainant herself, 
<clears throat> she's guilty of a number of things. Um, trespass, theft, assault. Stalking. Uttering threats. Criminal harassment. Yeah, uh, criminal harassment. Yeah, and... Um, and being a real bad breakup And also, at, at the end, the officer's just like, yeah. Also, at the end, um, she's asked, okay, did he go on social media to, like, attack you on social media? And she goes, no, actually, I'm the one who did that. And we had the posts. <laughs> I know, and they were just as threatening as this. This is even better. This is, the this is even better because we live in the age of misinformation on social media. Like, we haven't seen it a billion times now with misinformation on social media and how, how damaging that can be. Over to you. Well, you went through all the social media stuff. Yeah, well, um, th there was some stuff that he had that she hadn't provided to the police, which I, I think is an issue we'll, we'll Yeah, God forbid they should look. <clears throat> well, it's always so selective, right? In terms of what they decide, that they're only going to give them stuff. But what I did found... she post? What'd she post? Let's just. Um, she was. Oh gosh, it's hard to remember precisely. But aside was... from being a piece of sh. She was basically just posting about her mental breakdown. But she also said he's a cheater. That yeah, making. He's her... a cheater. He's a womanizer. His yeah. Character assassination. Character assassination on him. And On social that, media. Yeah. Yeah, right? and so unfortunately, those types of allegations and he didn't translate cheat on to he's a sexual predator. Right. He didn't cheat on her. Never mind the sex assaults that she alleged. We didn't even get into that bullshit. But we won't for sensitivity reasons. But she alleged he sexually assaulted her, and she alleged that he cheated on her on social media, and he never did. He broke up with her. There was a time gap, and then he wound up dating somebody else who's a perfectly nice person who wound up being a witness. And in that case, we had to take multiple statements at tremendous cost to our client to save, to save him. And, and just segue, Let's please, please the university. Us. Talk about the university yeah. aspect, because this really gets me. But, but before we go there, too, though, it's just like... Okay, I'll try and contain myself. When, when the defense has to do the job of the police and investigate these witnesses who were never contacted, that's a big deal, right? Because you have to, you can't personally take okay. a statement... Like police can. You can't be a witness in your own case. Yeah, so let's explain a few things. So this is really yeah. important. And, and for all those doubters about false accusations, f*** you. <laughs> Imagine this, okay? You're this accused is not of the only case like this. No, it's this not. I have had, I've had plenty. That's why I am where I am now. But you're accused of a criminal offense, and you go to a lawyer, and you got to hire a private investigator then to interview witnesses. Well, first of all, you got to make sure they're available have their contact information, and pray to f***ing God that they're going to speak to your private investigator. Because there's a difference when police attend, because they have the authority of the state. They have a gun, they have a badge, they come, you, you, you can be charged if you lie. And I get that. And that's why when police do interviews, it's sometimes more effective in that way. And I've seen on a few occasions where police have gone above and beyond, have done investigations, and have undermined the evidence of the complainant. But that is getting fewer and fewer as we move farther away from the well, Giangameshi case. They just turn it over to the defense so that you can use it, but they still, they don't withdraw charges. But at least they took an interview. So when a police officer goes to a potential witness and says, we'd like to ask you some questions, there's this compulsion, just like our clients sometimes have a compulsion to talk. There's a compulsion. There's the air of authority. But when we send a private investigator to try and track down somebody, you're at a best odds 50-50, maybe 40-60, you're going to get them to talk to you. Well, I think right? private investigator has this feeling, too, like you're being followed. You know what I mean? Oh! Like... Uh, 
I've had police contact me to say your private investigator is harassing a witness. Right. Yeah. There's no property in a witness. We can interview anybody we want, including a complainant. But God forbid you go out to investigate, then they get harassed. Right? So then it comes back on the private investigator and on us. But really, you have to go get those witnesses. Hope to God that they're going to speak that they're going to speak to your private investigator and then give a statement. And we make sure that the private investigator video, audio records it, transcribes it, and gets it transcribed so this is solidified when we get the evidence. But that costs a lot of money, right. a lot of time, and a lot of hope that we're going to get that evidence. Where the police could have interviewed them as part of their investigation 100%. in the public interest. 100%. So and what's the public interest? Is the public interest to just simply believe an accusation or is the public interest to get at the truth? You would think it's to get at the truth. It's not. I know. It's not. Let's not have an illusion about that. It's not. Now it's to encourage more reports by making sure that nobody gets charged with making a false report. It seems to me. That's, you know, because it's always like, it'll have a chilling effect. But okay, so uh, with the private investigator, a lot of people would think, well, why do you have to go through all that? Why don't you just interview them yourself as I can't. a defense lawyer? I, if not? I interview anyway, so I become that. a witness. Right. So how does that work? So if, if I'm representing a client and I go out and seek evidence from a potential witness, I take a statement from them. Should they, first of all, I could be accused of tampering with evidence, and I don't want to do that. I want to maintain integrity. Second, if there is a difference between the evidence they give at trial and what they gave me, I become a witness. So that's a no-no. You don't do that. You don't have anybody as part of your firm do that either, because so that can that conflict down a little you further. You, uh, you did knock out my whole firm. Representing you expect people. somebody to say something when they testify, and then when they get up and, and and take their oath or whatever, they don't say what they what you expected them to. Right. To impeach them, you would then have to testify to say no, that's not what they told me. So now be you all, become a witness. And there can be all sorts of reasons for that. When 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 a person is interviewed by a defense clerk, you know, lawyer, or even a private investigator, and it comes time for trial, they can be really nervous. They don't want to rattle the tree. They don't want to put anybody against each other, and so they're going to start to water down their evidence. Then you have to take out their statement and impeach them. If me or some member of my firm was the one to take the statement, A, that's a stupid, immature move to do, but it will taint and screw up the whole case, and you're going to be knocked off for conflict. So you can't do that. You've got to hire a private investigator who knows what they're doing. A neutral party. Absolutely. And we ensure the integrity of that investigation. Very careful. And better sure if there's somebody who's already testified in court before. Well, we need an objective recording. We need somebody who knows what they're doing, whether they're an ex-police officer who's an investigator or not. I mean, there's a company I've been working with and a guy for over 20 years who's not a former police officer who's excellent. Right. And is, is, you know, he really knows how to oh, ask I know questions. What you mean. Yeah, yeah. He, he was fantastic. He, he's really good. And, you know, we have our, our favorites, but... There, and some are, two are ex-police officers. They're excellent. We love them. One's not an ex-police officer. He's excellent. Um, but they know what they're doing. And, yeah. but, that's all on the, but that's all on the accused to afford. Now, yeah. it, it, it can be, in some cases, insurmountable. Where the police could have just gone and interviewed them so that everybody is aware of what But talk about access said. to justice. Not everybody has that deep pocket to do that. Imagine if you can't do that. I know. And so what's the consequence if you don't know, if, if you don't have a, a pre-recorded statement that somebody can, I, can verify? Um, here, come on. Sorry, just, just a moment. We have to take a, a moment to just have some more whiskey. Hi, honey. You sure? Which, you know, we could be drinking a different whiskey if, um, you know, 
it was made available to us, but <laughs> this is our current favorite. Can I get a bit more? Uh, it's really, it's a blended Canadian whiskey. They're not a sponsor, but it's really quite good. And I like to shop and drink local. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I was drinking scotch uh, a couple of nights ago. It's a ago. whiskey. This is a whiskey. I was drinking a scotch. And, and uh, I didn't finish it when I went to bed. I got up the next day. I was like, age 12 years and a day. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good with eggs. Yeah, I know. All right. So no. So where were we? Um, what? So what happens? Why? Why do you need to have this all documented? So basically, the question is, what happens if you go to court without that, and the person says the opposite? Like, why would you not call a witness if you don't know what they're going to say? There, there is. It is. Uh, I know it seems like a stupid question. Any anybody knows that you don't call a witness unless you know what they're going to say and you have it pinned down. And uh, if they don't say the thing you expect, then you can impeach them with their statement. And there are going to be many reasons why somebody deviates from it, but you've got to impeach them with their statement. It's got to be on video, audio recorded, transcribed, so there's no misunderstanding. Play the video. Here's what you said when you were interviewed. Yeah. And there's no doubting about what we heard. No, but that's you know, the dynamics I mean, of this sure. process. It's not an easy process. It's not always going to get you to the truth. So in Because this case, people are worried about yeah, and in this case, we're talking about four people whose names were spelled out to the police officer, who now it's the responsibility of the defense. Well, to we try wound up taking obtain. six or seven statements, yeah. all of which were incredibly helpful. But you know, let's talk a little bit about what happened at the university level, mm -hmm. because all, while all of this is unfolding for this poor young man, here's a university where he is at a four point zero GPA, looking at a great, promising career, and this university is saying. You're a f***ing piece of s***. Well, no, the university, I thought, was fairly fair. But they could have... No, the they... university wasn't fair. Oh, the investigator okay. was fair. See, I wasn't a part of that um, They the They were not willing. Aspect. The university was not willing to hold off on their investigation pending the outcome of the criminal trial. So let's think about that for a second. Let's all take a moment to figure this out together. So the university where he's attending did a few things. One, he could not attend classes anymore. Right. He's off campus. Can't go to the libraries because he could be in contact with the complainant. I know common areas are always restricted. Common areas restricted, library restricted. He could go to his lectures and go home. That's it. Yeah. Okay. So that's the first sanction in place, which, you, which really, if you like your university career and you enjoy that camaraderie of being at libraries and study groups... and all gone for this young man. Next, they wanted to pursue their investigation and they said, you have a choice. We've interviewed the complainant. You're not entitled to her statement to us. We'll give you a summary. Does your client want to give a statement to us? If not, we'll make a finding. We'll make a finding without his statement before there's a trial. Before there's a trial. Right. So most criminal lawyers at that stage will go, look, dude, Anything you can say to them in any type of format, whether it's an interview or whatever, can and will be used against you should the Crown or the police seek to get that interview. It's not confidential. Yeah, we didn't it can do be that. subpoenaed. Right, but just you have to choose between your academic future and career and your criminal case. Imagine that you're 20-some-odd years of age. You're a 4.0 GP. You work your ass off and to I've done do nothing well in school. wrong and you're the you, victim you of a stalker. You know you've done nothing wrong. And you you're the know, victim of a stalker. You know you've been wronged 
Now what do you decide? What do you decide? This is a real case. This is one of many. And what did we decide to do? Well, in that particular instance, you know, despite like, as I said, I didn't, I wasn't um, sort of a part of that university process. Um, you're saying that they wouldn't give him anything but a summary. So he would only get it. He only was entitled to a summary of the accusation of the complainant, which really didn't matter to us because we already had the statement of the complainant. And then what I decided to do was the case was so strong, and he had multiple witnesses and so on. So it was it was worth it for him to to protect his right. Uh, so we right made a strategic decision. Yeah. They hired, to the credit of the university, a lawyer who was a criminal lawyer, a former prosecutor, who was and is an excellent lawyer. So she was she was an excellent uh, crown prosecutor, federal prosecutor, uh, and then became a private criminal defense lawyer. She's excellent reached out, worked within the limits that she could, and I decided, I know this person is full of integrity. I'm going to cooperate. So I disclosed our interviews. I disclosed the statement of the complainant. And then you and I decided, because I had to chat with you, we got to talk. Yeah, I remember talking about it at the end. We debated. This wasn't there at the, at the beginning of it. Yeah. No, but we debated about it after, you know, once I got further on in the process. And I decided, that's it, my client's going to speak to her. We're going to be interviewed because he I had I had in I, this unique situation of, of having all the evidence in his favor. For one, it's just but, but, it is you know, rare to have any evidence on either side in these cases. It's so scary. You're right, but but but, but case, you know yeah. I, this he you know I I got really worried for him and I got really emotional about the fact that he had spent you know this was not a, a wealthy kid. This was a kid who really worked hard to get where he was in university. I got emotional I, too, Joe. What did you do? You kept telling people I thought he was guilty. That's what you did to me emotionally. Until I brought you I around. Like, no, until I brought you around. No, you just kept telling people that I thought he was guilty and I had and my, my, my jaw would just drop every time. I was like, because everybody believed you for at least two seconds every I was time joke. you said it. But, you know, he did I'll a good, we, we had him interviewed <laughs> by this investigator. She did a very good interview, listened, reviewed everything, and came to a conclusion in an extremely detailed report, having interviewed the complainant in detail, having interviewed our client in detail, having looked at our witness statements in detail, having looked at the disclosure in detail. And what was her conclusion on a balance of probability? On a balance of probabilities, not only did the accusations not happen as the complainant described, but she found that he was the victim in the circumstances. Listen to this. this On a balance great. of probabilities. This is great. This lawyer hired by the university did a far better job in analyzing the evidence. So a balance of probability is a standard in which in civil cases you decide whether something is more or less likely to have happened. It's like 53%. You know, Is it likely to have happened? In criminal law, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. So this is a much lower threshold. So this investigator found on a much lower threshold that essentially the complainant was full of shit, lying and had committed criminal acts. Mm -hmm. And this was all based on evidence that was either in the possession of the police and or therefore could have the been crown in possession. or could have been in their possession yeah. without our assistance. And so finally the charges are withdrawn 
because right. you were able to give them. Well, I disclosed the, the report of the investigator from the university, which was an extremely well written, well thought out, well analyzed. I mean, I hope she gets appointed to be a judge because that's the type of person I want to appear in front of. Did a, an outstanding analysis, and then we presented it to the Crown with all the other evidence we had previously appointed. Like, we sent not her. Only, not only was it a lower standard, a balance of probabilities. They're not even compelled to to um, honor the rights of an accused person like no. they do in court. Yeah, it's um, but I, but I've also this has come up in, in one of our previous discussions. The difference, uh, or maybe the the proper term, due process, which is your your, your guarantees against yeah. against the government versus natural justice. So, um, in tribunal investigations, which are not always fair. And that's important to, to make clear because some people going into these things blind thinking they're going to get a fair process are not going to get that thing. Right. That um, universities are sometimes uh, successfully sued for not following natural justice, right. which is uh, sort of a primordial... Uh, <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. I'm just I'm thinking That's like, a good way of putting it. What's, what's that maybe where he's like keeps going back to the primordial soup and uh, I, I can't remember the name of it. It's going to bug me now. There's like this guy who keeps, he does this like cryogenic chamber Altered thing. states? Altered states. Oh my f***ing God. Oh my God. <laughs> ages. Yeah. So natural justice is like his amoeba form going back to... The original form of... <laughs> Boy, that's a flashback. Okay. I'm so glad you remembered because I was, it was going to actually be a really bad dead end <laughs> if I could think of it myself. I love yeah, yeah, that yeah. moment where he's just like banging against the walls going, no, I have to keep my form. I have to keep my shape. That's right. <laughs> this oh is my like God, that's so funny. natural justice, right? It's yeah. the amoeba behind all of our laws and our right. legal system. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, and and in this case, it worked out for a client. Is, is this particular case, you know, a one-off? Is this a one-off for all those people who believe that there's not false accusa accusations? Is this a one-off? I, you know, we had a discussion about. Um, I was trying to figure out how can you determine how many false accusations take place, and of course, if you ask well, an accused person, <clears throat> if you ask an accused person, they're going to say, "Oh, I'm I'm innocent, right?" Well, Most yeah, we, we take that we with a grain of salt. Yeah. So you can't you can't trust the right. self report of an accused person. Right. You can't trust the self reports of complainants who are always going to say they're telling the truth. But I was thinking lawyers who are neutral, if you're allowed, you know, if you're allowed, if you anonymize everything and you just simply look at, let's go through the last year of records. And I asked you this question: if you had to do that and then assess how many of your cases, percentage wise, are false, provably false where the guys actually, you can say show that they're innocent versus how many you can, you know, they're guilty and sometimes they admit it or the evidence is overwhelming. And then you had a, a category in the middle. So yeah. your numbers were what? I'm over 50%. Over 50%. So break it down in terms of, so ones that you could, that, that the evidence shows they were guilty, ones that evidence shows they were innocent, and then the thing in the middle. I'm, I'm over 50% where we can establish that it is highly likely that uh, and our clients are wrongfully accused. Of that 50%, 25 to 30% are demonstrably false accusations. Then in that other 49%, you're in that world where, where we don't have the evidence we need, but we get acquittals. Um, but but, let's, but let's, not, let's not down... This isn't a f***ing promotion here. This is where we dig. We keep, we're, you know, I've always referred to myself as a digger, and you're a digger. Mm -hmm. You know, we keep digging to find, you know, the truth. 
And we don't serve our clients if we don't try and do that. We don't just listen to them. You know me. I yell at them. I don't listen to them. I want to figure out what the truth is because we're at the stage of our career where people come to us when they're wrongly accused. And when you dig and you start looking for the evidence and you have access to it and we have the right resources, you find they are innocent. So we're finding on a balance of probability that we have really falsified allegations. And that's pretty significant. Yeah. So remember the case we had in a, a northern region. I don't want to say it because I don't want to identify anybody. Right. And seven counts of sexual assault. Seven counts of sexual assault over a historical period of 18 months when somebody was dating somebody. Seven counts of sexual assault that would have resulted in a three to five year jail sentence, if not more. Seven counts. Let me say that Nowadays, again. Seven more. counts of sexual assault. And what happened? I'm going to do that so I can pour it, but go ahead. Take. Seven. Well, okay. Actually, what? It looks like you need a little more. He wants me to pour. Okay. And you might be swearing a little too f***ing much. But you just swore. Mm -hmm. I did? Yeah. That's enough. Okay. I want to have a good night. Okay. All right. Well, just... Can I fill me up while you're at it? Can we order a belly buster when we get home? We do every Tuesday. Can we do I a want little, a belly buster. Can we do a little dance? No. <laughs> you just see wearing this awesome We're gonna little We're going to order a belly buster when we get home. We order belly busters every podcast week. Oh, do you? I know you guys like that. You like belly buster. Your favorite. I have to try it. Oh, my God. I've been going there since I was 16. Aramis originally ran. I say so. We we've had so many cases since I've been. But just with just you. look at this. This was a great one. Seven f***ing counts of sexual assault. It's not a joke. This is real. Seven f***ing counts of sexual assault. Okay. Well. Okay. Please take. We it away. We were talking about a case earlier that that I don't think is the same one. So you're... seven counts of sexual assault. The text messages that came for from our client. You're gonna have to remind me. To be honest with you, Joseph. There are okay, so I'm many the cases. Away from you. No, there's so many cases we work on with like seven to ten charges. Okay, so this very nice gentleman with was evidence dating, of innocence was dating this so many this lady for a period of about eighteen months to two years, and they were having an issue. And you know, he didn't want to introduce her to his parents. It was a second relationship mm. for both of them, and. And I have sympathy for the fact that... I know which one you're talking he about He might now. not have been more... He could have been more genuinely about how he handled things, okay? He could have been. And, no, I and, think it's important I didn't remember because we have so many cases, you know, where we have evidence of similar... We have a ton. But, but I know which one because you're talking Because we about dig. Now. But so on this case, he gets charged with seven counts of sexual assault. And I'm not blaming the police on this one, but I have a question. So we get... Of course, I ask. I want all your, we ask. I want all our the communications with the complaint, everything. So Emails, text messages, whatever you everything. want. And holy f it's a heavily documented relationship where they're just fighting and she is stalking okay. him, threatening I, I him, manipulating well. him. It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Do you remember so, now? So and you, you drafted up, you, you helped draft up the uh, document on reasonable prospect of conviction. Yeah, and, and the charges were withdrawn, uh, finally and thankfully. So this was Good the situation. Attorney. Yeah, she was. She was fantastic. She was excellent. She really got it when she saw the full communications. Yeah. So, so what was going on in this case was um, the uh, complainant wanted to be close. She was um, wanting to meet his parents, and yeah. he was saying, um, well, you know, I'm not really sure if I'm quite there yet. Right. And 
So she started getting obsessive, um, which plays out in, in what happens after the end of the relationship, um, where she's just like, how come you won't introduce me to your parents? And, and uh, you know, and I'm your everything. He was a bit of a dick. Okay, well, no, this is, I was going to get to the funny message that actually had me laughing out loud. <laughs> so, so he's really hesitant because of cultural issues. There was, they, they were from different cultures. Yeah. And so that was one of the issues involved. And uh, so... At one point, she's like getting really pushy with him and stuff, and uh, and then he's just like, "No, I want to put an end to it." And yeah. and she comes back with, "I will never let you go, even if you right. drop me. I'm not going to. Um, I'll always be thinking about you, and I'll always love you. I'll never find anybody else." And like, I'm not going to stalk. Really? I'm not going to stalk. I thought you were going to say, "I'm not going to stalk you." I'm not going to stop contacting you. I'm not even going to stop stalking you. No, you he said that. crazy. I'm not going to stop contacting you unless you call the police and have them stop me she from contact. Yeah. She literally wrote that. Yes, I know. <clears throat> and so, so we provide these communications where he's got very little to say except for, F off, get out of my life, you stupid whatever. Yeah. So, I would have liked if he handled it better. But we would have yeah. liked if he handled it better. But you know what? If you're if you're in a situation where somebody is like really messing with you like that and threatening you to to not go away, what you end up doing is like I'm going to make this person not like me anymore. So, you're, but it was so yeah. But you know, like to be fair, like from an emotional standpoint, you know, you can be a bit sensitive about the other person's needs. So I, I I'm we're not judging it that way. You know, it's a dynamic. Somebody is cares for you, and you're not. You got your issues. That said, you can't commit a criminal offense either way. But this person literally wrote, literally wrote, literally wrote, I will not stop contacting you unless the police contact me and arrest me. And that's in a message. So we turned it all over. We did a very good roadmap. Now, what I was saying with the, the nature of the his message, if that was something he was saying to her on a regular basis, then that would sound abusive. But the fact is that this guy is just sitting here being super polite. And then he finally just says, he blew up. leave me. And yeah. you know, but the thing with criminal harassment is you have to literally tell the person in strong words, stop contacting me, leave me alone. Unless you're and a man. That's what he did. And when I, when I actually read it, I was like, you know, like almost like. You were laughing your head off. Spit take. <laughs> you were laughing your head off. And then he stopped. He, he didn't. Stop he, communicating. Yeah. But she didn't. She nope, kept on she contacting not. him. So, so, so this brings us to an issue. Yeah, hold on. Let's not finish there for one okay. second. So we gave all this to the Crown with a roadmap, and they withdrew. And now the issue you're thinking about is privacy, mm -hmm. investigation, yes. messaging. How much privacy do we afford a complainant to the detriment of the truth? Over to you. Well, we, we do have a, a ruling in this case, because I'm a legal researcher. I happen to know these things. Yes, you do. <laughs> um, and I really like this decision, and this is from Justice Bruce Davies, who, um, who actually went to Parliament to try and stop new rules of evidence and so on. And, and, um, and then she became a judge after making those submissions to Parliament. And her ruling is, it's got a really great um, array of things to think about. And, and I think it should have been taken a lot more seriously. Yeah. Why is it that a complainant can go into the police and um, give them messages, text messages, that can be used against them to support their claim, but we're not concerning ourselves about the privacy of those communications because they're text messages. They were sent between two individuals. 
get a complainant can go in and they can selectively choose which text selectively, selectively choose right. which ones. But if uh, an accused person then wants to give the whole record of all the other text messages, they now have to make an application because the privacy of the complainant is at issue. Right. But what, what I think, and I, you know, I had, I have a lot of respect for Justice Davies, as she was as a lawyer and as a judge. The kernel of what we got to grab onto their brilliance, which is what a lot of us have argued and I have put into my disclosure requests for about over 15 years, is I want the communications from the complainant to the accused. Seize their phone, analyze it, and turn it over. So how much privacy do we want to afford a complainant to the detriment of the truth? So there's lots of screaming about we got to protect the privacy of a complainant. Well, that's exciting unless it leads to a wrongful conviction. And guess what? It f***ing does. And if you want to make an accusation, we've got all those groups and that professor from where? Who's that? my favorite professor? Um, from Dalhousie? Yeah. So, you know, God forbid we should delve into the privacy. Let's we'll call her the professor from Dalhousie. You know, God, for, God forbid we should delve into the privacy of the complainant for victimizing them or re-traumatizing them. But, you know, more than often, we have found in our practice with thousands of cases that when you delve into these communications, you find lots of information that undermines the veracity of what the complainant says. Well, and my thing is like, if you apply Think about logic, that case if you apply logic. But, but had the police said to, because this person who accused him of seven counts of sexual assault had said that they had been communicating for months. Had the police said, well, that's great. Can we have all those, give us your phone. Let's do an extraction of phone. We'll look at all the communications. We'll come to a conclusion and then we'll make our decision. We should wrap up. When they withdrew those charges, they didn't even impose a peace bond because they recognized that she was stalking him and that she was probably going to cause him to violate his peace bond. And nothing happened to her. Nothing happened to her at all. Nothing happened to her. And he still lives with the fact that because it's a sexual assault, it will never be erased. It says withdrawn on the computer system, but it'll never be erased. Yeah, the fact that he was charged will still show up. So on if he applies for a search. job in a vulnerable sector mm-hmm. and there's a vulnerable sector search, it's going to come up. I know, but apparently this is all justice for victims, right? Because we're assuming no, but, but again, let's leave it aside. There are real victims, but there are real accused people who are wrongfully accused. It's not a joke. These are two examples. I've got a third. Before, Are we running out of time? I got, there's a third that I want to talk about for a moment. But just think about this. You were accused of seven counts of sexual assault, seven that are a lie. By a person who ends up being a stalker. Who's Where the charges the are withdrawn. There's no peace bond. They recognize that this person stalked our client. Is using the police to continue the stalking. Because that's psychological. There is a real phenomenon from a psychological perspective. Where an aggrieved partner who's no longer who's rejected from the other partner, wants to maintain a relationship through some litigation, whether it's family law or criminal law. That's what this was. Mm-hmm. But this poor individual, God forbid if they apply for a job where there's a vulnerable sector, will have this come up and may never get that job. But there's, there's another example of a case up in a bit of a northern region. That's the one I thought you were talking about first, and I was like, what are you talking about seven charges? Yeah. No, but like, oh my God. This was another one where you know a young person goes to one of these... They used to have them when COVID didn't exist, when we all had fun and life was normal. 
where you go to these big concerts and the kids go and there's like 26 million bands and you got your campsites and you get drunk and you smoke weed and everybody has a ball and it's like love, peace and whatever. The old Molson Park Berry yeah, Festival. Yeah, like, you know. Um, just thinking about, I remember there was like a radio station it was like 101 or something. I can't even remember what their what their uh, call number was anymore. But that's how much they charged. It was like a dollar and one to go to an all-day concert in the park. And then yeah. they did a follow-up. But it was like a, a, a new age 1980s. But they're great. There's great band. bands. Woodstock it's a lot of, festival. Yeah, but it's the same thing. I forgot yeah. what it's called. And I don't want to really say it right now because it would identify people. But it's great. And everybody has fun there, right? Mm. And people have to be responsible. Totally get that. But our client, my client, is there with a bunch of buddies. And, you know, they meet some girls. The girls come to their site. Everybody drinks. Campsite. Campsite. You know, you set up your camps. Everybody's drinking, doing marijuana. You know, it's love, peace, and everything else. And they wind up having intimate relations. And then my client makes the mistake of not wanting to stay in the tent, but wants to say, hey, let's go out. Literally, it's in the statement. Let's just go out and hang out with everybody and just continue to party a little bit, okay? Right, yeah. She leaves on her, her own conversations not that She's pissed. She leaves on her own accord. And then when she wakes up the next day, I was raped. Mm-hmm. Goes to police. Alleges she was too intoxicated to consent. The police, at least, God bless this police service, they went out and interviewed a whole bunch of people. But here's the interesting thing. Those people that supported the complainant's evidence, they videotaped their statements. Those that did not support the complainant's evidence, they took handwritten notes and had them sign it. So then, I had to track these people down, try and get them interviewed, and when I wanted to have, back then when we had preliminary inquiries, thank you, Justin, for taking away preliminary inquiries for sexual assaults, um, I, sub- I had to subpoena them. And guess what? Crown wouldn't give me the addresses. I'm like, what the f***, am I clairvoyant? <laughs> yeah they like what am I, I supposed I, to f- yeah, do so I, I have to bring a motion to get the addresses just let me rant for a moment okay I yeah. have to bring a motion I'm just thinking of how many how many other cases we could talk about we could go on forever but how many but can you like, imagine there's so many they interview eight people they don't take video statements from them and they say certain things that does not help the Crown's prosecution and they're just scribbled notes with some signatures I can't even get the addresses of these people never mind thank god i can read police officers notes that's what i was about to say i've tried i can't even read them it's an acquired skill it's like it's like they went to doctor school on how to write illegibly it's crazy yeah but so anyways i battle through that i can read it i get so and then i have to bring a motion and then a judge thank god says to the crown really give them give them the addresses yeah, I was in a I was in a situation where they wouldn't subpoena the the crown wouldn't help the defense locate a witness that was the father of their own complainant. They wouldn't help us locate them, and the judge had to actually say, "Well, I can't. I'm not in the position to give an order, but I strongly suggest that you assist the defense in locating the witness." But it's this is crazy. This is real. This is real. This is not bullshit. We're not just saying this so you actually... I've been only doing it for... We're not saying this so you actually like, review, or subscribe to our podcast. Okay? This is real shit that goes on. This is real shit. And so I was lucky enough... And when it comes for you, you're going to be wondering how it all happened. 
No, but I was lucky enough to be able to subpoena these people to a preliminary inquiry. Let me segue for a second. Preliminary inquiry is a hearing before trial where the Crown proceeds by indictment. It's been in existence for three years until Justin Trudeau. Three years? More more than that. 300 years. 300 300 years. 300 years until Justin Trudeau and Wilson Raybould, the justice minister at the time, eradicated it because they didn't want victims to testify more than once. <laughs> F- you. You took away those prelims, which are incredibly important. This prelim was a perfect example. I subpoenaed every single witness. And when I was done, guess what happened? Pausing, dramatic pause. Somebody say from the audience, the charges, the charges withdrawn. were withdrawn. You know why? Because he was f-ing innocent. So he was f***ing innocent. No, the complainant not only when she was pissed off after he wouldn't f***ing cuddle her in the tent, left the campsite and went to another guy on another campsite and started making out with him. And I subpoenaed that motherfucking witness and I asked him, hey, did she, a- did she ask you for consent? Mm-hmm. Well... But just think about that. This is real. I asked the guy... Did she ask for your consent before she mounted her lips on yours and grabbed your crotch? And he goes, no, but I didn't mind, dude. It was okay. But my client had to face this and spend thousands of dollars. And then our prime minister got rid of prelims. Like, where do we so, live? So here, here's a, another way to approach it. And At least you get more same, Pfizer. Good work. Come to the same conclusion. I'm right? never going to be a judge. I know. But <laughs> never. <laughs> It's okay, I don't want to be. Go ahead. I know. But th- there's another way to come to the same conclusion, which is why would you subject a complainant who's going to be shown and humiliated, uh, shown to be lying about these you know, circumstances? You know, There's no benefit to proceeding to trial for the sake of saying that you took it to trial because you believe witnesses. If you're going to humiliate the person because they're clearly, the, the evidence did not support a, a conviction. Is it, is it not better? So did we get it? Look, you know what? Reasonable prospect of conviction. Maybe we'll finish with that. So reasonable prospect of conviction. Why is that important? Why do prosecutors have to concern themselves at all with a reasonable prospect of conviction? And I'm going to say this. A lot of prosecutors that we deal with take a judicious approach to that. They care. Why is it important? Because they have to assess their case at every point that we go forward in a case, whether there is a reasonable prospect they could get a conviction because the integrity of the process is important and they don't want to prosecute an innocent person. The problem is innocence is in the eye of the beholder, just like beauty, just like evidence. Evidence is in the eye of the beholder. And that's a perfect example of how you viewed evidence. Evidence that supported the complainant's allegations was evidence. Evidence that did not support it didn't deserve a video statement, didn't deserve a transcript, didn't deserve anything. God f-ing forbid that the, anybody should have tried to find out that he was actually innocent. Yeah. And we don't need the courts bastardizing tests, whether it's about capacity or consent, to the point that we no longer consider what the real facts are in a case. Right, I mean, get into capacity to consent, because that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> no, I, I get it. We've covered it before. But we need to be careful not to bastardize the evidence to the point that it's going to be impossible to defend a case. But that we want to jump over backwards to be politically correct about what it is to defend, uh, you know, the rights of a particular group 
because they believe they're 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 being persecuted or they're 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 subjected to abuse and ongoing stuff. It's better that twelve guilty, eleven guilty people go free, and That's one innocent one. person. And I'm going to say it, it's my version. We go to eleven. One, one wrongfully convicted person goes to jail, but it's wrong, and we don't have that here in this system now. We're going in the wrong direction. These are but three examples. We have a lot more. We can go on at length, and we're going to go on the next podcast about it. But these are real examples, and people have to take this seriously. They do. And you and I do a good job of uncovering the truth. There has to be a human face. And so, you know, maybe let's return to where we started, which is this young, very brilliant young man who is so mild-mannered, so polite, um, you know, just articulate and, um, you know, compassionate. And he's got all these great mild-mannered qualities and his life was going to be destroyed before his very eyes. But now he has a future, and he's going to have success, and he's going to live a good life thanks to us. I know. Until next time. <laughs>